By this point in the season, I believe it's clear to most reasonable people that this Oklahoma football team has a ceiling that prior year's teams did not possess. There have been seven games against seven fairly different opponents, and not one of them has posed a significant challenge to this year's Crimson and Cream. Looking at the trajectory of this team to this point, it's not outlandish to suggest the next five opponents may fare pretty similarly to those that have come before them. But, the Big 12 Conference has proven itself to be much stronger this season than I and many people anticipated. This is largely due to the influx of coaching talent into the league. All of the programs that made changes in the offseason have given their fan bases reasons for sustained optimism moving forward with smart hires. One of those smart hires, Kansas State's Chris Kleiman, will be on display Saturday in Manhattan. Kleiman has taken the blue-collar, outwork-you mentality him and others made a staple of North Dakota State's program and tweaked it to fit into the similar culture that Bill Snyder had already developed in his decades with that program. Kleiman is a very good football coach, and you can guarantee that his team will be prepared to attack Oklahoma in all the ways they appear vulnerable. However, the Sooners will still have a very large individual talent advantage, as per usual against Kansas State. So, this game will go a long way to answering one of the main questions this OU team will need to deal with going into November and beyond. Do you want to be a great football team? A great football team treats this game on Saturday like a unique challenge. Do you get upset you're playing your fifth straight game at 11 a.m.? Or do you treat it like a new challenge this particular season has brought? Do you treat Kansas State's seemingly overmatched offense as such? Or do you treat their ball control principles and smash-mouth packages as a new challenge that a championship team must be able to overcome? This OU team has already flashed more championship potential this season than we've seen in previous iterations. But they still need polish. And that's what these next five games are about. Maintaining everything you've done well, but polishing out the scuffs that might prevent you from being great. Saturday in Manhattan is a perfect start. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Here's Brooks, first down, hits the sideline! Kennedy Brooks welcomes us into the show today. His 86-yard touchdown run against K-State last year gave the Sooners a 41-7 third-quarter lead. It was one of only five carries for Brooks on the day, a day where he finished with 94 yards and two touchdowns. OU crushed the Wildcats 51-14 on what was a beautiful afternoon in Norman, Oklahoma. Hey everybody, I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the beginning of the show with the opening take this week. The schedule a bit different this go around. We're recording on Tuesday night instead of Wednesday. The reason, pretty simple. I work Wednesday nights always and the podcast recording fits in between the 6 o'clock and the 10 o'clock newscasts on News 9 here in Oklahoma City. So because of that, my time is short normally on these midweek podcasts and I feel a bit rushed sometimes. This week, the Oklahoma City Thunder is playing their first game of the year Wednesday night, so I'll need to be 
available all evening long, so no time to record the podcast this uh, this Wednesday. No telling if this schedule is going to continue past this week, but uh, we'll see how it goes. And it's kind of a fluid situation right now. So that's kind of the the uh, the idea behind the schedule so far. All right, not a lot of news and notes to go over this week before Grant and I break down the matchup between the Sooners and the Wildcats, although one key player has been lost for the season. We will discuss that. Once we do get to that OUK State matchup, I've got some thoughts on what kind of game this should be for a particular part of the defense, and also K-State could present a sneaky challenge to one particular part of the offense. Then, of course, at the end of the show, we'll take a look at the upcoming upcoming weekend in the Big 12, there's some pretty interesting games to talk about, and as always, we'll give you our way too early picks in some of the biggest games of the college football week, and that'll be at the end of the show. So with all that, let's bring back in Grant. Grant, how's it going today? Oh, it's going, Lee. Feeling a little uh, feeling a little under the weather today, so if I ever have to stop or to cough or blow my nose, just, just bear with me. It's that time of the year in Minnesota, unfortunately. Just push that cough button. I got you for the podcast. You know, you Man, push that down. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't yeah. that be great? And it just mutes your microphone. It's very high tech stuff we have here. Now we're keeping this podcast together with uh, some yarn and some tape, I think. But uh, hopefully, it's it doesn't seem like that to all you listeners out there. Well, it sucks you're not feeling too well. Hopefully, you can bounce back and be ready for a a big weekend of college football and NFL football coming up here. Uh, Tuesday. So uh, just a quick note, I think right around uh, about about half an hour from now as we're recording this, the offensive assistant coaches, usually Bill Biedenbow and some players are going to talk. Obviously, we're recording right now, so we're not going to have any sort of information that may come out of that scrum. So just wanted to throw that out there here at the beginning of the podcast. But we do have information from the first day of media. I was down in Norman on Monday, as usual, for the Lincoln Riley Presser and also for the defensive availability on Monday night. So Grant, let's go over some of the news and notes of the day, news and notes of the week. And I'd say the most notable thing is John Michael Terry. He was injured in practice last week. It was a lower leg injury. Lincoln Riley saying it was a non-contact injury that kind of makes your stomach turn. And as a result, John Michael Terry will miss the rest of the season. We were kind of wondering why he wasn't out there Saturday against West Virginia and said it was Nick Benito and David Ogbuebu playing that rush linebacker spot. Well, we found out it's because John Michael Terry has been hurt. And I know he's uh, he's been starting for Oklahoma, and he hasn't been a, a huge wow-type player so far in this Alice Grinch defense, but the fact that he was able to find a starting role and – produce more than he has produced at all during his time here at Oklahoma he was playing okay football and it just always sucks to see a season ended with injury especially a guy where I'm sure John Michael Terry was starting to feel really comfortable in this defensive scheme and now he is out for the rest of the year Grant so your thoughts on the loss of JMT it's never good for the depth that's for sure Um, obviously the first thing you think of you just feel terrible for for John Michael Terry you never want. I mean, whenever you hear lower leg injury, non-contact, I think we can go ahead and assume that he tore his ACL, um, which obviously is is not good. So um, bad for the depth, bad for the kid. Obviously, um, in terms of the product on the field, honestly, I, I I would probably, if you had to, if I had to pick between the two, I'd probably would have picked Benito to be out there anyway. And that's not to that that's not to denigrate at all what JMT has done this season at all. He's been solid, but Benito has has kind of have has been more of sort of like that Havoc type player uh, where he's, he's kind of more likely to have a tackle for loss or a big play or something like that. So 
Um, in that regard, I don't think this is this is like crippling to OU in any stretch of the imagination. Although uh, you do have to have a little bit of pause once now you realize the two guys at that rush linebacker spot are a redshirt freshman and a true freshman. That's you know that's never a great thing. Oh, you forget about one other player that's certainly not a freshman, but a player that has not seen any time as far as I'm concerned or I've noticed this year, and that's Mark Jackson, Grant. He is Well, the... couldn't you forgive me for not thinking of Mark Jackson? <laughs> no, man. He's been, a, he's been a contributor on this defense the last couple of seasons. He's, he's had a role, and then, boy, he has not had a role at all in this Grinch defense, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of what kind of reps, what kind of snaps, if any, he gets moving forward. In a game where JMT was out against West Virginia, I didn't see Mark Jackson out there. Perhaps as time goes by and another week goes by of practice reps, maybe Alex Grinch will see something that could lead to him, you know, lead to Mark Jackson being another one of those players in the Oklahoma defense that does earn the right to get some reps and get some snaps on the field. But up to this point, though, it would seem that he is not – been one of those players this year uh, but yeah he is the he is the third guy there behind Benito and um, David Ogbuebu and just to your point about uh, the loss of John Michael Terry compared to kind of Benito JMT this year 16 tackles two and a half tackles for loss he had a half sack Benito not even a starter he started of course against West Virginia but Benito playing uh, quite a bit so far this year, though, in a non-starting role. He already has 23 tackles, three and a half tackles for a loss, and two sacks. So Benito is already uh, putting up, like you mentioned, those havoc numbers and certainly have already surpassed John Michael Terry this year when it comes to that. And then I know that uh, talking to Dusty Dvorak this past weekend, who has been a contributor on News 9 with, with us in Oklahoma City, he comes on all the time, talk to him all the time now. It's kind of a interesting ordeal for me. And, I mean, obviously you're not there to – to be a part of this too, but it's just interesting because like the Vortex guy that we watch all the time, Grant, growing up, I know you, and now he's working for ESPN, and I you know get to talk to him, and he is just like a football junkie as you would expect. But the reason I bring him up, anyways, is that he was really impressed with David Ogbuebu this past week, and also Benito as well. So uh, to a guy like him, you know, an old you know ex defensive player that played in the NFL as well, uh, it's good to hear that guys like Ogbuebu is jumping off the the film at him. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought Igwebu looked good on on Saturday. Um, of course, you know when you when you roll a true freshman out there, you're always there's always the risk there of him busting or or making some sort of mental mistake. I think that's always what you're concerned with with freshmen, that and maybe not being you know physically prepared to for the rigors of the entire season. But I don't think that's not a problem with Igwebu. He certainly belongs out there physically. It's just you know it, that's that's a position that he didn't play in high school I don't think I think he was a defensive lineman and now he's out playing rush linebacker um the physical traits are there obviously but what happens when you know when a shrewd or smart offensive coordinator notices something on film and just continues to pick that scab yeah we'll see we'll see yeah I mean the offense in West Virginia last week and many spoiler alert this offense in Kansas State probably won't be able to find many ways to do that just based on the way these offenses execute. So uh, that, that's, that's a bit of a tease to head in the podcast. But, uh, yeah, I mean, going up against those better offenses in the Big 12, certainly that's a, possibly a concern. One other note, and you put this in my mind on Monday when we were texting back and forth, and I hadn't thought of this. And this is kind of interesting. Caleb Kelly, he has been a big part of this football team 
even though he hasn't been able to play. Uh, he's always around the team. I always see him out there on the field, pregame, things like that. And I see Kelly a lot more than normal, than, nor- than most players, because Caleb Kelly has been working in the media this fall. He has been working with the Oklahoma students and that do like Sooner Sports Pad and, and the TV show there and, and work with like OU Daily and things. So basically all the student journalists at Oklahoma, Caleb Kelly's been working with them and getting some some like media practice. And so he's always around the press conference. So it's kind of interesting and unique to see this current player that is also in a scrum and he's like holding a microphone. <laughs> and every once in a while, he might ask a question to one of his teammates, which, uh, you know, they always make sure they answer it. Very soundly because uh, they're obviously buddies and things like that. So, anyways, because I bring up Caleb Kelly is we know what happened to him in April. He was injured and he was going to be out for a long time. I don't know if I know Oklahoma didn't officially say it was an ACL, but I'm pretty sure there was reports that it was an ACL. So, from what I understand, I don't know if this has changed in the last few years, but Grant, an ACL recovery is what something like six to nine months, and everybody's different. And at the end of, uh, or I should say, at the beginning of November, I believe, it's going to be, that'll be about almost like about seven months, I think, since it happened. And so depending on where Caleb Kelly's recovery is, we don't know yet. We don't know if, if he's, like, what he's even doing, if anything. I mean, he's not on any sort of crutches. He's not, doesn't have anything. He's walking fine, as far as I can tell. And I see him, you know, in the media room, things like that. Point being... If he's able to come back at some point this year, Grant, is he a guy, I wonder, if Grinch would potentially throw in there and see if he can play some rush linebacker? What do you think? Yeah, the more I've thought about it, the more it seems really implausible, right? I just uh, it's, it's a position he doesn't play. He was playing Will before he got hurt. And then now yeah. you're talking about, hey, that, that's even if he does get healthy enough to, to play or contribute in a game later this season you're going to have him play a completely different position that he's theoretically never played before and you're not sure if he's physically 100%. So now yeah, the more that I think about it and I was actually running the scenarios through my mind as you were kind of going through that monologue, I I don't I don't he, we're not going to see him at all this year, I don't think. Why why on earth would he be with the with the media if he was planning on playing at least a little bit this year? I don't think there's any I don't think there's any connection or correlation between him working with the media and then potentially playing. I think that's just him getting experience. Maybe he wants to go into journalism. He wants to be in the, you know, after football. Well, no, I'm sure that's absolutely yeah. the case. I just, it strikes me as odd. In, in order to be able to do that, he'd have to, there has to be lots of time that he's not spending with the football team. Well, not so, necessarily. I mean, we do media after, in the evenings after practice. So he's obviously at practice and then he comes in after that's over with, if he's ever helping out. And then the Monday press conferences are always uh, 11 o'clock to 1230. So he's not missing out on any sort of, I don't know. I can't imagine there's much game prep going on there. So I don't think he's missing out on anything. Uh, okay. I, I'd well, say, I mean, but I'd say best my, case scenario. I mean, what about, you know, what about uh, potential if Oklahoma makes the playoff and they have that you know, long break between the Big 12 title game? I can see him being healthy and maybe ready to go for a, for a playoff game. I mean that's end maybe, of December. but then, but in that situation though, would you have the confidence to to send a guy out there who hasn't played at all, who hasn't played you know since the spring of of last year? Sure, I, I don't know. It just it. yeah. I mean, yeah, they brought I, Chance Sylvie back. I mean, Sylvie played in that Orange Bowl, and he hadn't really played at all all year. I think he only Philly's. played on special teams though. 
I can't remember exactly if that's true or not. So I don't know. It just it it's starting to to feel the more that I think about it, it seems it seems very implausible. I just remember back in the spring when this happened, we were kind of doing the math in our head of, huh, is there a scenario where maybe he could come back and play towards the end of the season? No matter what's going to happen, they're going to make sure he doesn't. And let's say he miraculously is ready to go in a couple of weeks. I still can't imagine them bringing him back in a, a, to a point where he would play more than you know four games because they want to keep that red shirt. Unless there's still maybe a medical red shirt that he would be eligible for, even if he did play. Yeah, just which, which I doubt it. I don't think that that's how it works. No, just kind of the idea of because what I mean, it, the four game rule, him coming back basically for bedlam, and then the, it just that, and then him playing the four games all the way to the national. That just seems way too convenient and way too simple. I, I don't. That's not going to happen. That's it. Just seems kind of like a pipe dream at this point in time. All right. Well, I'm not going to rule it all the way out. Hundred percent, like you are. Debbie Downer. I'm not, that's that's not what I said. I didn't. It's, I'm just saying it sounds very implausible when you actually look at it through a, a, like a real world lens. Is it? I mean, is it really going to happen? It's very doubtful. I don't. And especially at rush linebacker. If anything, it'd be at will. Yeah, and you think they're not going to want to rush him back? I mean, he's a guy they're going to want to make sure is a hundred percent healthy and and ready to go. So they would only ever do it if they thought that that gave them their best chance to win in that scenario. And from what we've seen so far of like Benito and even at Guaybu, and I know, I mean, there's still five games left, plenty of time for them to theoretically be exposed. I just, I, I can't, I can't imagine the calculus working out that way is all. All right, more news and notes. Let's go over to Lincoln Riley. And Grant, I got to say, I'm excited right now about the offensive line. I'm starting to get a bit giddy when it comes to the offensive line. Riley's saying, that um, that group took some big steps last week, and he mentioned having the same lineup and continuity a couple of weeks in a row and back-to-back weeks, essentially. That was big, and that was the first time all season long that we've had one game to the next game of the same starting five offensive linemen, and it's the starting five, I think, that we want to be the starting five moving forward through the rest of the year with uh, Swenson, Hayes, Humphrey, Tyrese Robinson, and uh, Adrian Ely. And so I'm just, uh, with the way they played the past two weeks, Texas against West Virginia, starting to round into form. And this is the time of year you always bring up, Grant, middle of the season, they start to gel. And it's been kind of bizarre this year because of all the, the changes and the different lineups and things like that. But now if they can stay healthy and have the same guys keep going, this could turn into one of those classic Bill Bedenboe, really good to dominant offensive lines. And I'm Again, I'm getting really excited for this group. What about you? Same. I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been pretty much the exact same story ever since Bill Biedenboe has been here. Once he finds the five guys he really likes, and once they once they're actually able to play three four games together in a row, that's when things start to really take off. And it couldn't. I mean, it couldn't come at a better time in the schedule. They're about to go on the road to play. You know, to play a team that has a winning record, and then after that, they have really one of the more one of the tougher November slates that they've had in a while, to be honest with you. And uh, I didn't mention this last week, but Biedenboe mentioned in his availability before the West Virginia game that that they're healthy. I mean, he used the word healthy, and I know that we we're still kind of concerned about Ely and Swinson, but it was nice to hear Biedenboe use that word. He said, you know, kind of we're healthy, we're, or we're, we're healthy on the offensive line. So it kind of made me think, too, that either they're recovering a lot quicker, those guys, or – 
you know, maybe they're not, they're not as banged up as we were potentially led to believe, but uh, that doesn't mean that things could change. It's a long season, and it's a it's a very demanding position position group. But uh, I, I'm excited about that group, and also too one other kind of note from the availability that, from Lincoln Rally on the offensive line that I kind of felt was kind of interesting is he mentioned Creed Humphrey was or has been pretty frustrated with all the different lineups that they had been playing because he was always the one constant he was always the one player that always was in there as a center and he wasn't frustrated with his guys he was just Riley said he was frustrated from a competitive standpoint because every time it was a different lineup in there it felt like he had to kind of just start over again from scratch they couldn't you know get that continuity keep it going and going and going so now that they've had back-to-back weeks of the same guys I think that frustration probably is subsiding now for Creed Humphrey but I found that to be kind of interesting that Riley uh, acknowledged that and put that publicly that yeah Creed was you know he's a pretty easygoing guy but just the fact that the lineup kept changing over and over again kind of what we had anticipated or thought like god this has to be annoying for these guys and yeah it was frustrating for Creed Humphrey but again it's nice that hopefully as the offensive line continues to be more healthy that frustration will subside and it won't be an issue anymore so is that kind of interesting to you too or is that just me I mean it makes sense he's he's the guy who is responsible for everyone else there for the calls the checks the communication and whatnot and I'm sure that's a lot harder when it's not the same guys there every single time so yeah I mean I'm, I'm sure the injuries and kind of the musical chairs there in his mind probably preventing them from being a really good unit so I'm sure that's frustrating last thing on or I guess second to last thing on this, feel like it's worth bringing up. Talking about Alex Grinch and the potential of him being a head coach one day. That was kind of a uh, an angle that some of the media wanted to take this week, and I guess it's worth thinking about considering how good the Oklahoma defense has been in basically no time. I mean, in less than a year, Alex Grinch has turned this defense into something that it hasn't been in years. It looks incredibly different, so much better. And Lincoln Riley was asked about it, and not surprisingly, he said that, hey, there's no doubt in my mind that if Alex wants to do it, he'll be a very good head coach one day. And of course, you know, what else is he going to say? And, you know, he's probably right. Alex Grinch is clearly a very good football coach. And, you know, if he wanted to become a head coach, he probably would be solid at that, or at least he would certainly have earned the right to be a head coach, depending on where it would be. And then, of course, Grinch was asked about it as well, and he said that it's something that he's always thought about, like a lot of coaches usually do, so that's not surprising. Uh, But Grinch did add that he's kind of just happy being at Oklahoma running this defense and that having that title next to his name or a seat at the head of the table just doesn't really interest him right now. So I don't anticipate a scenario after this season's over with Grant with Alex Grinch bolting to become a head coach somewhere. That's never really entered my mind this season I suppose it maybe has entered some Oklahoma fans mind just because of how successful he's been but um, is this a scenario that you have been concerned about or thought of before this week I've thought about it I don't concerned is definitely not the right word but I mean yeah Alex Grinch is going to leave eventually Um, I just I I hope he's here long enough to implement his culture fully that's I, I think that's what that is that's what's most important going forward is to make sure that he completes the job he started with with the culture shift. And obviously returns so far are great because that, I mean, he's, he's saying something in that room that's, that's really resonating with a lot of guys. I'd like to think that Alex Grinch is kind of connected at the hip right now with Lincoln Riley because Riley was, or Grinch is Riley's handpicked guy, and I'm sure they 
you know, who knows how many discussions they had or, you know, kind of what their philosophy and their principles are and kind of what their future, you know, who knows how much of the future they've even talked about. I don't know how that works. But uh, as far as Lincoln Riley goes, I still maintain this. I mean, this is I have two different thoughts when it comes to his future, because every single year now, it seems like there's there's going to be those talks about Riley going to the NFL. The NFL is going to want him. And we dealt with this years ago with Bob Stoops when he was still fairly new to Oklahoma. There was always the Bob Stoops, the NFL rumors. And it's even more so now with Lincoln Riley, obviously, because he is such an offensive genius. And the way the head coaching hires went this past offseason, you got a guy uh, in Cincinnati now, Zach Taylor, who was, I mean, what, the uh, the quarterback's coach for a year under McVay. And uh, before that, he had some he had a little bit of NFL experience, but a little bit of college, like existing experience. But boom, head coach. I mean, if Riley wanted to be a head coach in the NFL, he'd get the job tomorrow. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I just have this feeling that Lincoln Riley, he's so young right now. He wants to win a national title first and foremost at Oklahoma. I think that as long as there is no national title next to his name as an Oklahoma head coach, I think he's here. I, I don't see him going anywhere unless I got to the point where they just can't win one and it's been like 10 years or something like that. It's some insane. And he's like, okay, this is ridiculous. I got, you know, time to move on. Maybe I, I have other goals. And also, too, this might be a, a more. A more of a, a, a this reason might be more of why I don't think he's going to head, head to the NFL for a while. I think Lincoln Riley is a smart guy. We all know that he's he's a dude, and I found this out recently that I guess he had offers to go play in the Ivy League, uh, and he, he I can't remember what article I was reading. Did you read something like that too? Have you heard that before, Grant? I was reading an article that he. I don't know if I've ever heard that okay. before, but I, forget, I mean, it wouldn't so. surprise me. So, Although but, I know, I have heard the stories of like once Mike Leach saw him throw, he basically told him, yeah, your future's in coaching. <laughs> the reason I bring that up, though, you know, he was recruited and he had a chance to go to an Ivy League school, and it might have been Harvard, I can't remember the exact school, is he's clearly a, a very smart guy. He can retain a lot of information. He's, he's incredibly sharp. And the smartest people out there are smart enough to know what they don't know. I mean, that separates a lot of smart people from a lot of dumb people. And I can't remember what the theory is or, or what it is. I, I know I've heard Clay Travis talk about it quite a bit on his radio show. Is that I, I know there's some sort of, again, theory about how the dumbest people out there don't know that they're that dumb. And in a lot of ways, they think that they're actually smart. And it's just kind of like that. And he, I think he says that it's the way you can kind of explain Twitter and social media. You know, some of the dumbest people on there are the most outspoken and loudest, but they don't know how dumb they are because they're so dumb. Meanwhile, you have the smart people that realize their limitations and want to make sure that they get something right before going public with it. And so I think Lincoln Riley obviously is a very smart person. And there's got to be a lot of things when it comes to coaching and offense and things like that that he, he has to know that he does not know yet. And it'll come with experience. And if he were to go to the NFL right now or the next year or two, sure, he'd probably have a little bit of success, but maybe he wouldn't be as set up for success as he thinks he could be if he waited a little bit longer. And I think that's and that's just my opinion. I, you know, I'm not friends with Lincoln Riley. I can't just call him up and ask him what he thinks, and he wouldn't tell anybody anyways. But uh, that's kind of my theory when it comes to him. National championship, and also he has a lot more to learn when it comes to becoming a head coach because he is so darn young right now. All right, that's my long soliloquy on Lincoln Riley, Grant. I can let you give your th thought or take it all when it comes to Riley. And I guess if when it comes to Grinch, too, because I, Grinch is the reason why we brought this whole topic up. You know, I hate to be like a Debbie Downer here, but like I, I'm just totally bored by that subject. I don't, 
let me I, if if Lincoln Riley is going is, is going to go to the NFL, he's going to do what he does. Like I, I don't. I'm at the point now where I'm not really sure I should. Why should I spend like my time thinking about that when it's totally out of our control? Or I don't know what's going on in his brain. Okay, I don't know. Uh, ba- based off everything he said so far, it sure sounds like he loves OU and he's going to stay there as long as he can. But I don't know. I mean, who who knows how quickly that calculus can change, though. So um, I, I I will say I'm not I'm not convinced that um, if you go to the NFL, it's absolutely a better job than Oklahoma. I don't think that's true at all. I think really, if we're being objective about it, there's maybe five or six NFL jobs you could argue are, are better jobs in Oklahoma. Like I mean, what is he going to go to Buffalo? That's not a that's a terrible job, right? <laughs> he's yeah. If, yeah, like if he's is. There's other places like go to Jacksonville, awful, terrible job. The Titans, a terrible job. Like I don't, I mean, a, a college coaching job is I, I feel like is a lot more cushy than these NFL jobs. Although the, the caveat there is that uh, in college you got to recruit, and Lincoln Riley sure seems sure seems to me like he likes recruiting, and I think a lot of the times that's going to be sort of the dividing line there. I feel like when a lot of the the coaches that make the jump to the NFL. They always mention recruiting, and they're happy they don't have to recruit anymore. Because, I mean, think about it. Recruiting would be awful. you got, you got to be a special type of person to get into that sort of stuff. Yeah, no, you think it makes some good points about those jobs in the NFL and also recruiting. That's the thing that I think a lot of national people that will just talk about this and, oh, Lincoln Riley, is, he's in the next hot commodity. I think he's going to make the jump. I think a lot of these people don't know the things that Lincoln Riley has said in the past about recruiting, and he absolutely loves it. I mean, he... That's one of the, I mean, every single signing day, he talks about how this is like a big part of like something he really enjoys. And it's just, it's another, it's a, it's an added part of the job and it, it just added to the competition of the job. I mean, it's, it's off the field, but it's, it's just like competing in a game and, and trying to beat out other opponents to get certain players. And, and also I just, yeah, I don't, I've never bought the idea. Like I said earlier, that, that going up to the NFL is like, is, is the greatest thing. I, I don't know. Like. Outside of Bill Belichick, can you name a, a head coach in the NFL that is like a superstar that is like really famous? You can't at all. Really famous, hmm. Like a guy who is like who is considered like that's like stood the test of time. Like, exactly. Whereas like someone like Dabo Sweeney is much more famous than the second most famous NFL head coach. Hmm. I mean, Lincoln Andy Riley, Reed, right? I mean, Andy Reid's pretty high, well well thought of. I mean, he's been around for a long time. Um, I mean, obviously, Sean McVay was the the most famous guy ever in the last couple of years, but he's it's you know it's very early for him. But yeah, I mean, I suppose I understand your point. Yeah, I mean, Saban, Sweeney, I mean, these are household names, and I think a lot of that too is because in college, the face of the program is always the head coach because there's so much turnover. There's always different players, whereas the NFL, it's the players because you got a guy like Tom Brady, maybe a bad example because he's with Bill Belichick, but then you got a guy like Drew Brees. And also maybe a bad example because Sean Payton, I think, is a pretty popular head coach, too. But uh, yeah, I, think, I think you get the point, though. I mean, the players are the face of the NFL. You know, yeah, I, I think I think the part of the NFL that is attractive to these really successful college head coaches is just is the challenge aspect of it. I think you're you're in for a much more comfortable and cushy life if you stay in college. I, I, I don't think that's up for debate at all. All right. The last thing in news and notes is. That there was no word that I could find, or I shouldn't say I could find, no word on Monday about Grant Calcaterra and his availability this week. He wasn't brought up at all during Riley's availability. Who knows if there's some sort of news that comes out 
as we're recording this podcast. I'll keep kind of checking Twitter in case something does come out while we're recording. But uh, as far as I know, there's been no update on Calcaterra. So who knows if he'll be available against Kansas State. All right, let's switch over now to Oklahoma versus Kansas State. We're in week nine now, Grant. OU's played seven games. This is game number eight. And uh, generally, I know you talked about Kansas State a little bit in your opening take about head coach Chris Kleiman and kind of just his successes at North Dakota State. Let's kind of expand on that a little bit. Since the start of the year, since week one, how has your idea of K-State changed or evolved throughout the season under Kleiman? Because... I got so I got a feeling that you and I it's it's kind of evolved and changed the same way, but I'll give you the first crack at this one. Sure, yeah. So going into the season, I thought Kansas State was was poised to be pretty pretty near the bottom of the Big Twelve this year. Um, they came out and they they blew out their first two opponents, overmatched opponents. Uh, they beat Nickel State what, like forty nine to fourteen or something like that, and then uh, then then beat Bowling Green like fifty something to nothing. Bowling Green is maybe the worst team in the country. Um, and then I think, I think everybody, um, whenever, when they went on the road, when they went into Starkville and beat Mississippi state, that's when everyone was just like, Oh, okay. This team may, may have a little more juice, uh, than we anticipated, but then sort of the season has played out for Mississippi state. And it looks like that they're at the bottom of the sec and, um, that win doesn't look anywhere near as impressive anymore. And then now that I watched them in their first three big 12 games, and honestly, now my, my thoughts about Kansas State are more in line with how I thought of them in the preseason. Oh, wow. Interesting. I am not that that far down in them. I will say, though, I did pick them to finish ninth out of 10th. I had both Kansas schools at the bottom of the Big 12 in my preseason poll. I had K-State 9, Kansas 10. But even though I had Kansas State that far down, I didn't think they were going to be really bad. And yeah, I certainly was very surprised and impressed with that win over Mississippi State, especially the fact that, of course, it was on the road in Starkville. And K-State should have won the game by three touchdowns. I mean, they gave away the ball multiple times and allowed Mississippi State to kind of stay in it. So they really should have trounced Mississippi State. But then, yeah, I mean, obviously the Oklahoma State game was the one where things started to kind of change and think, oh, okay. I mean, that was coming off a bye. Sure, it was in Stillwater, but then they only managed 13 points against, uh, a, again, not a very good Oklahoma State defense. Once again, Oklahoma State's defense just is not very good. Only managed 13 points. Yeah, they held OSU to 26, well below the Cowboys' season average in total points, but uh, just could not do anything really offensively, and then that followed up with a, another poor offensive performance against a, a Baylor team, which now we know is, is a lot better than we thought was going to be. Uh, I thought Baylor would be good this year, but not like this. Uh, and then now they they beat TCU, you know, in a home game last weekend, and TCU a team that I wasn't very high on. However, though, I had TCU a couple of spots ahead of Kansas State in the Big Twelve preseason poll. So I suppose I don't have the same. You know, I guess now that I think more about it, yeah, maybe my feelings about Kansas State are kind of the same as I thought at the start of the year where, yeah, I had them ninth in the Big 12, but I didn't think they were going to be really that bad because I know Kleiman's a really good coach. And now coming into Oklahoma, 4-2 and two on the year, coming off its first Big 12 win, playing their third home game of the season. This is kind of an interesting matchup, I think, for Oklahoma in some ways, which we'll get into coming up here. And let's start with, we always like to do Oklahoma's offense versus Kansas State's defense or the opposing defense and I think let's flip that let's start with Kansas State's offense 
going up against Oklahoma's defense because Oklahoma's defense will continue to be the most interesting part about Oklahoma now that Oklahoma is playing pretty good defense and we just want to see how they keep progressing and playing against each offense every single week and this is a pretty unique Kansas State offense Grant and by unique I mean it's not uh, like any offense that Oklahoma has seen so far this year would you agree I'd say there's a lot more pro-style principles than anybody else that Oklahoma has played this season. Yes, at uh, at a lot of times it looks kind of like a classic um, West Coast pro-style offense. So what we do? Uh, what do we mean by that? Uh, basically, there's a lot of under center, a lot snaps. of under center, a lot of a lot of like two and three step drops, looking at one read, throwing short range to medium range, not a lot of shots down the field. Uh, they try to keep everything within the box, and they try to chip away at you. It's They try to be an efficiency offense. Some of the numbers. Their offense for Kansas State, uh, 96th in the nation. So not great, averaging 369 total yards per game. Although the S&P Plus ratings, it's a, a much better offense. They're 62nd compared to their total offense. Yards per play, slightly better. 5.6 yards per play, but still not even 6. So... Uh, not great in that regard. They're okay on third downs. They're converting 40.7% of their third downs. So that's about, you know, they're in the very fringe top third of college football. Not even actually, now I do more of the math on that. Not a very explosive offense. Uh, I like to look at explosive plays, plays that go 10 plus yards, 20 plus yards, 30 plus yards. And K-State's in the hundreds in every single one of those metrics. 109th in plays that go 10 or more yards. 116th in the nation, 20-plus yards. Only 23 plays this year. K-State has gained at least 20 yards. And 30 or more yards, K-State's only had eight such plays this year. Good enough for 115th in the nation. So this is an offense grant that it's got pro-style tendencies but really is not very explosive at all. Uh, let's talk about the quarterback a little bit. Skylar Thompson. What do we think of Skylar Thompson? No longer do we have Alex Delton potentially getting snaps, potentially getting reps for Kansas State. It's all Skylar Thompson all the time. What have you seen from him so far in the games that you have watched? Honestly, the biggest threat that he poses um, is with his legs. Usually, out of draws or some or or if the play breaks down, he's got he's got pretty good straight line speed. He's not incredibly shifty or anything like that. Um, if his first read is open. A lot of the times he, he can deliver an accurate pass, but he's not a guy that that you should be incredibly terrified of sitting in that pocket going through his progressions and delivering an accurate ball downfield. That's just not what he's going to do. Um, honestly, after after watching him, especially against Baylor, uh, if if you take away his first read, he panics and he's terrible. And I and I like I, I try not to mince words there, obviously, but if he doesn't have his first read, he, he he can't do much at all. You mentioned his legs, certainly a, a threat on the ground, but this isn't Jalen Hurts back there. He's not running the ball you know, 10-plus times a game. He's only had 38 rushing attempts this year for 165 yards, and he does have three touchdowns. His longest rush is 61 yards, and I guess you got to factor in some sack yardage there too. That's probably why it's a little bit lower. But, I mean, this isn't a guy who's going to run it a bunch, even though he's actually got some pretty good ability with his legs. And, yeah, I'd agree with you when it comes to throwing the football. He's not a particularly good throw over the ball. He's completing a shade over 60% of his passes this year. 
has only thrown for 994 yards. Granted, K-State has played one fewer game than most teams. They've only played six games instead of seven. Uh, it's He doesn't turn the ball over much. He's got seven touchdowns. He only has one pick. That was against Baylor. He also fumbled against Baylor and turned it over there. So uh, K-State's had six fumbles this year, and honestly, I'm not sure how many of those were or have been Thompson. Uh, but, yeah, he's he's a guy that uh, – you know, when he, uh, certain plays are schemed for him, he does pretty well. Uh, he does tend to want to take those two, three-step drops and sit back there and go through his reads. And I watched two games closely. You watched more than me, but I watched the last week game against TCU quite a bit. Actually, I watched that one closer than, than the other one I watched, which is the Baylor game. So the past two games I've watched for Kansas State, and more than I would anticipate in those two games, was he back there trying to throw. And yeah, he's sacked once or twice, but uh, I'm kind of curious to see if that that kind of strategy is going to be the same against Oklahoma because what we've seen with West Virginia getting the ball out and and you know basically saying nope, you're not going to sack us, we're going to get rid of the football. Uh, it doesn't seem like K State really had those that sort of philosophy against TCU, which is an aggressive defense, or Baylor, which is also a pretty aggressive defense this season. So I'm very curious to see how the Oklahoma defensive line plays and that leads me to the next thing I want to talk about is I kind of teased a little bit at the beginning of the show is you know a particular part of the defense might have a a fun day and I think that's the defensive line grant I think this defensive line this could be a Oklahoma defensive line slash front seven game based on what I've seen on tape from this Kansas State offense and what I mean by that is this offensive line is fine nothing that special but I like the idea of Kansas State trying to run the ball you know, under center, just lining it up and saying, we're going to beat you with power. I want to see Oklahoma's defensive line in front seven uh, create havoc, get into the backfield, shoot those gaps, and just sell out against the run because that's what K-State wants to do. And I think this is a game where Oklahoma defensively in the front seven could potentially dominate, and I'm excited for that. Is that kind of what is, – has that been on your mind at all as you've been watching tape of this K-State team? Yeah, I mean, uh, if you want to keep it simple, this game is about maintaining your gap discipline in the run game and just taking away uh, Skylar Thompson's first read. You do that, this is the type of offense that can be strangled, very much like West Virginia's last week. So I wanted to kind of go back to, because Lee, you mentioned those the the Big 12 games that they've played this year. Um, and the, the Baylor and Oklahoma State games, the final scores of those games were a little deceptive. Kansas State got smoked in both of those games. Uh, they, they, it wasn't a game in the fourth quarter both times. Kansas State didn't score their first touchdown in both games until the, until the fourth quarter. Um, they were down by 20-plus in both games going into the fourth quarter, so uh, they didn't really have much chance of winning either of those games. And then against TCU, it was much more of a, of, a, of a closer game, but they still weren't explosive on offense by any stretch of the imagination or even particularly successful outside of a handful of plays. And so, Lee... Um, I did bring up those first two games that Kansas State played this year. I think it's important just because going into this game, Lee, K-State is ninth in the Big 12 in offensive yards per play, about 5.6. You already mentioned that. However, they averaged about seven yards per play in their first two games against those two very overmatched opponents. Against Mississippi State, they averaged about five yards per play. And against Big 12 foes, Lee, they've averaged 4.6 yards per play. They haven't gone over five yards per play in any game against a Big 12 opponent so far. Um, I think this Kansas State offense might be bad. I think they're probably, they, they definitely have less skill talent than what Oklahoma saw last week against West Virginia. I think the biggest thing you have to be worried about here is 
being super aggressive in your run fits and then when they run power and what they do just, just springing big explosive plays I think that's the biggest threat Kansas State's offense poses to OU in this game um but really I think Kansas State's only only chance in this game their 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 game plan is obvious they're going to try to to run the ball between the tackles not snap the ball until there's no time left on the play clock, and they're going to try to limit OU's possessions, and they're going to try to get into third and short so they can move the ball on the ground with their power sets. That is the only chance Kansas State has in this game. They they have no chance of keeping up with with a with score for score with OU. Yeah, I think you're exactly right about the game plan and what they're going to try to do. And yeah, you're exactly right too about gap fits. You know, we've seen Oklahoma give up some big plays this year, not as many as 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 you know maybe. Uh, we have seen in the past, although I I guess now thinking back last year, we didn't really torch Oklahoma's defense for giving up a whole bunch of big plays. It was just a bunch of successful plays Oklahoma's defense was they giving didn't up start giving up. Ago. They didn't start giving up a ton of explosive plays last year until Tylen Wallace at Oklahoma oh, yeah, State. Yeah, that's right. And then, yeah. and then other teams started just to take the top off them big time. But yeah, you're right. I mean, they're going to want to run the football between the tackles with their main running back, James Gilbert, who is an okay player. He's averaging more than five yards per carry, and I'm sure they'll have their their zone reads and things like that with Skylar Thompson. And I did see some some nice schemed up RPOs here and there from that offense. They had one touchdown against TCU that was a very very well done RPO to the tight end. He uh, made the t- it was their classic. I mean, Oklahoma's kind of ran a similar version of this before. Classic fake the wide receiver screen out to the right, get the corners and get the uh, get the safety to kind of bite up a little bit do the RPO action, get the linebackers to bite up, and then have the tight end block a little bit and then release, and then boom, you got the tight end right over the middle down the seam for an easy touchdown. Very well-designed play. Keep uh, an eye out for that play against Oklahoma. But uh, ultimately, yeah, it's it's a game where, like you said, I think you said time of possession. They're going to try to hold the ball a long time, and Riley's acknowledged that, that some teams are trying to you know play keep away from Oklahoma, keep that offense off the field. And that's exactly what Kansas State does anyways, Grant. K-State is fifth in all of college football in time of possession. On average, Kansas State holds the ball for 34 minutes and 11 seconds per game. So that's already what Kansas State wants to do is control the clock. And um, so that's, I mean, they're a team. Their offense is not particularly explosive. And you mentioned the yards per play in the Big 12 is not very good. But, I mean, K-State's not terrible on third down. I mean, converting 40% of their third downs is not, not too bad. So Oklahoma's going to have to get off the field. Obviously, Oklahoma's defense on third down has been one of the best in all of college football. So yeah, I mean, first down is is huge for OU's defense on Saturday. I think that's clear by looking at the numbers. If you get if you get K State behind the chains and if you put them in passing situations, there's nothing else to say but they're screwed. They're totally screwed because <laughs> uh, they can't throw. They cannot throw. Yeah, Skylar Thompson, his favorite targets, Dalton Schoen. Receiver on the outside, number eighty-three. They got a guy named Malik Knowles, who is a, He's their a tall, most talented receiver. receiver. Okay. And I saw you know, both of those guys a little bit on tape. Uh, the big tight end that had the touchdown a second ago, and as I was explaining that, his name is Nick Linners. And then uh, I saw Waikeen Gill catch a touchdown as well against TCU last week. And um, I also saw Skylar Thompson overthrow Waikin Gill who was wide open down the middle of the field with nobody within 10 yards of him and Skylar Thompson overthrew him by five yards so uh, yeah accuracy is not his specialty especially if Oklahoma can get a little more pressure on him and get him 
uh, you know, like a big thing this uh, this Tuesday, Grant, is seeing ghosts. If you get you know him uncomfortable back there, the the accuracy will dip even more. Let's see. Any other players? How about players on Kansas State that you'd like to to point out on offense that you find interesting or not? If not, we can move on to the defense. No, I mean, other than Dalton Schoen is the guy that Skylar Thompson's going to look for on third down. Um, whenever they've gotten like a, a big play or anything in the passing game, it's usually been to Malik Knowles. So I think those are the two receivers that you need to pay attention to. Other than that, this is uh, this is a very limited offense. Um, it, it would be it'd be very disappointing if they had a lot of success against OU's defense on Saturday. Well, yeah, it's well said, and. The last thing I suppose, and I just thought of this too, going into games like this the last three seasons against, and it's always against Kansas State too, Grant, because I mean, remember 2017 with the Alex Delton laid K-State team and we were just like, come on, this offense is so bad. We know Oklahoma's defense is bad, but come on, you have to be able to find a way to slow down this incredibly one-dimensional offense. Kansas State might as well have been running the wing T because they could not throw the ball. And of course, what happened? Alex Delton had one of his best, maybe the best game of his career in that game and Kansas State was winning at halftime so going into this game now Oklahoma's actually playing good defense can we finally maybe go into a game against an offense that statistically and what we've seen on film is is not explosive not very high powered with a just an okay quarterback and maybe think man this is a game where maybe we shouldn't be all that worried about Oklahoma's defense being exploited like are we even is it are we there yet? Is it fair for us to actually be confident in Oklahoma's defense coming out and just playing well based on the opponent? I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that question. No, I mean, there's still a bit of doubt in my mind, um, just because in the past, and of course this is with a Mike Stoops defense, but in the past they've kind of struggled with that smash mouth, uh, trying to get a numbers advantage in the running game type offenses. Um, and you know, this is the type of defense I think that is that is perfectly designed to stop an offense like that. You don't think you fill your gap and you attack. Um, that's definitely a way to you know to to strangle this offense for sure. Um, I think when you're kind of sitting, you're playing read and react defense like they've been playing the last handful of years under Mike Stoops. That's when it, that's when an offense like this, it's a lot easier for them to pick up. Hey, three yards here on first down, another four yards on second down to get into an early to get into an easy third down. Um, when you're not thinking and you're just attacking gaps, it's it's a lot easier to put these types of offenses behind schedule. And I think that's going to be the game plan for OU on defense. Um, they probably will. They'll probably be pretty uh, pretty liberal and 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 their blitzes and whatnot. But there, I mean, just like Alex Hearns likes to do, there's going to be a lot of stunts. There's going to be lots of slanting and stimming. Um, they're going to try to confuse the offensive line. Uh, let's flip the script over to the Oklahoma offense against the Kansas State defense. And Grant, I think this is a question that needs to be asked to get the ball rolling in this topic. Is this the best defense Oklahoma has faced all year? Statistically, it is, but um, no. I mean, they they played Texas Tech at full strength on defense, so I think that's probably the best defense they've played so far. Um, If you remember, since that game, Texas Tech has pretty much lost their entire secondary to injuries. Um, So, but oh, you played them with a full deck. I, you know, I don't know. Kansas State's defense and what I watched, they're they're not extremely impressive. They're just serviceable. They, you know, they don't... Uh, looking more at the stats, they're, they're an efficient defense. They have a good defensive success rate. It's like 37%, which is in the top half of the conference and is also good throughout the country as well. But man, all you got to do is turn on the tape to know that they give up quite a bit of big plays. And you just need to watch the Oklahoma State tape 
to see that. But Chuba, Hub- Chuba Hubbard got them a few times. Like it's, it kind of seems like, especially in the run game, if you get to the second level, it's good night, Irene. Like they can't, they can't get anybody down in the second level. I don't know. I, I'd, I'd argue they don't give up that many big plays compared to you know an average college football team. I mean, you look at the numbers here. Uh, they're they, thirty plus yards or more plays allowed. They've allowed twelve, which is fiftieth in college football. So they're in the top half of college football in that. Uh, twenty plus yard plays. They're forty fifth overall. So I mean, they're in the the top half of college football and then just 10 or more yard plays allowed only 77 which is 24th in the nation so well see i'm more look here's here's where i'm here's where i'm making that conclusion okay they have a 37 percent defensive success rate which is efficient that's pretty good for a defense but they're giving up nearly six yards per play which tells me that when that tells me when the offenses do have success against them they're getting quite a bit of yards off those successful plays yeah, so I was looking at that too. So, I mean, yards per play-wise, this Kansas State defense, not good at all. Yeah, 5.9, which is 90th in college football. But from a total defense sta- standpoint, which again, it's not a stat that we love here, but I just like to give it out for a baseline stat. K-State's only giving up 347 yards per game, which is 41st in the nation. And Grant, you have it written down here in the script that uh, S&P Plus defense, they're 37th. So they even have a better S&P Plus defense. And uh, this is so this is the best defense from an S&P metric or S&P rating that Oklahoma has seen so far is what you Texas have Tech, notes. Texas Tech was like 22nd when they played them. Oh, interesting. OK. Um, but I mean, they're That's they're back to there. like 50 something now. OK, so I mean, it's yeah, it's 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 what snapshot do you want to look at over the course of the year? Um, Kansas State's S&P numbers are good because they have a good because they have a good success rate on defense. Um they haven't really faced any amazing offenses. I know Baylor has a good and Baylor and Oklahoma State Baylor, are both good. Baylor and OSU are good, and they but held them also well not, below their their season average in points. They're also not particularly. Uh, both those offenses aren't particularly efficient, though. You're, mm. I mean, you're we're we're talking about an OU offense, Lee, that is averaging averaging a successful play sixty percent of the time when they snap the ball. That is far and away number one in the country. Um. And I think a lot of the times, especially in this conference, your defensive numbers can look okay until you play Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, that's that's certainly true. So, and I, I just, and still when I watch them, all of their talent on defense is essentially on the defensive line, the interior of the defensive line, um, which so happens to be the strength of this Oklahoma offense, or one of the strengths, the interior of their offensive line. And then other than that, I just don't see a lot of great athletes on their defense. I see a, you know... Oklahoma, a lot of the times, has a lot of success playing against Kansas State, and it's because Oklahoma is usually really good at leveraging their physical advantages against Kansas State, and I just don't see how how this game is going to be any different in that regard, unless unless the OU offense comes out and they are just, they're, they're not poised, they're not focused, and the crowd gets to them, but I mean, this is a team that, what, how many games in a row have they won on the road? I mean, this is a team that... Hold on, let me get the old media guide here because I have it. All right, let's see. True Road Warriors. OU's won 22 straight on the road. Kansas State's script in this game has to go perfectly for them to even be in this game in the fourth quarter. And so, I mean, that, and that's why that's why OU's a 23 and a half point favorite. So, um, I I guess yeah, I, I'm. 
Um, the only thing that makes me worried about this game is just past is just past feelings. Just that feeling that, oh, you know, they're going to get what's coming to them eventually. They're going to get surprised eventually. When I look at the tail of the tape, when I look at the, the film, the numbers, it's a game, oh, you should win by 30 again. Yeah, I... I would agree with that. I mean, you play the game on paper and Oklahoma wins big. There's no doubt about it. You mentioned the defensive line, though, a moment ago, and that's kind of the group that I wanted to talk about a little bit, and it's the group that I mentioned the very beginning of the show. I mentioned that there might be a sneaky, difficult um, task for a, an offensive group, and that's the offensive line. The offensive line I'm incredibly excited about right now and I'm giddy about, as I said earlier, but this Kansas State defensive line, I kind of like it. It's kind of it's big. A little nasty. You got Jordan Mitty, Trey Deshaun, Reggie Walker, and Wyatt Hubert. I mean, they're big dudes across that line. They play the four down front. K-State plays a nickel, four down linemen, two linebackers, and they have the, the five defensive backs. That's that's what I've seen for the most part watching those uh, the past two games. But everything goes, it seems like, through their front four. And it's I'm curious to see how Oklahoma's offensive line plays against these guys because they – they're big dudes, and Oklahoma's got some big dudes on the offensive line. But I, I don't know if Oklahoma's seen a defensive line across the board with as much meat and size as these four four players. Am I just well, UCLA's offensive or defensive line was pretty huge? I know that's one that uh, Bill Beatenbow brought up, and and I know Texas had some talent, but you know they kind of have three down linemen, so it's not technically you know four man front. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm. I don't know how it's going to go. I, I mean, I think Oklahoma certainly has the advantage because they're just incredibly talented and they're going to be schemed up very well. But that's just a matchup to keep your eye on. That uh, If I had to pick to one part of Kansas State's defense that kind of concerns me, it's, it's that. It's, I'm, I'm interested to see how that front four plays against Oklahoma's offensive line. And when we're talking about concern, I think the one thing we have to look at is just it would be that defensive line getting in the backfield and making plays on first down. Because that, that's essentially been the recipe for getting OU off the field uh, this season. Get a negative play on first down. That's basically it. If, if you don't get them behind, you know, behind the tape on first down, they, they pretty much score every single time. Like, I don't, d have you noticed the same thing? I'm sorry, repeat that again. If, if Oklahoma doesn't get stopped on first down, yeah, if, they score? If, if, if you don't put OU behind the chains oh, on yeah. first down, they, they score every single time, essentially. Yeah, I think all the all the good offenses, I'm sure, are like that too. Uh, but yeah, it's you're right. I mean, you got to get him behind the chains a little bit, and even if you do, it's still not a guarantee you're gonna get him off the field. Obviously, um, let's see uh, the the identity of this Kansas State defense, though. Too hard nosed, uh, they look like they play pretty aggressive style of defense, uh, and I like the defensive coordinator for Kansas State, Scotty Hazelton, and he's another one of those. Defensive coordinator guys that whenever we were looking at who could potentially replace Mike Stoops, and this is even before Mike Stoops got fired, <laughs> just because I was just hungry for somebody that could change the culture. Uh, my eyes got brought to Scotty Hazelton before he was at Wyoming, I believe, and he got brought over. Uh, he used to be at North Dakota State coaching under who's uh, who's North Dakota State's or North Craig Kirk, Bull. Craig Bull, I think uh, Kleiman must have gotten him from from bowl like he must bowl must have been like okay cool you can go like you can leave because i'm pretty sure hazelton was at wyoming yeah he was and then was. now he, yeah and then now he's at k-state so interesting there i mean there's obviously a, a they all know each other that whole coaching staff so uh, i you know, Haz, when you see shots of hazelton on the sideline on saturday you're not going to miss him he's got a big old long beard he looks like he'd be part of zz top 
he just looks like a defensive coordinator from you know from North Dakota I'm not sure where he's from originally but you and also Wyoming you know like up where it's cold just hard nose blue collar uh, he just seems like a guy that I, I bet the guys love to play for and everything I've uh, read about him. So, I, you know, I, he's a guy that when they start getting more and more of their players in, they start recruiting. I mean, I mean, it's still Kansas State. I know it's difficult to recruit there, but uh, I think he could be one of the better defensive coordinators in this conference as time goes on and he starts getting more used to it. You know, or, you know, if he doesn't adjust to the Big 12, maybe he'll be exposed and it, it'll, he'll learn that it's just really difficult in the Big 12 compared to, North Dakota State, who God, what is the what is the conference they play in? I can't remember. Missouri Valley, North Dakota State, yeah, really, oh, and then also uh, what the Mountain West where Wyoming plays. Uh, who, so um, hey, but he uh, and he didn't even get to have to face Josh Allen when he was there because he was on the same team. But uh, I mean, yeah. to be fair, Josh Allen was a bad college quarterback. <laughs> uh, all right, anything else on the defense here? Let me look at my notes. No, I think that about covers it. So yeah, I mean, so, yeah. when you also when you look at the numbers, they, there's not like there's not necessarily anybody who just like leaps out the page at you that it's having like a great statistical season. I know Wyatt Hubert; he leads the he leads the team in, ta- in tackles for loss. I think he's got five. Um, he's their best player on the defensive line. Um, they have hold on a second. Uh, Daniel Green and AJ Parker. Uh, Daniel Green is a uh, is a linebacker. AJ Parker is a defensive back. They lead the team in havoc plays, uh, seven and a half and seven respectively for those two. Uh, so those, you know those are the two defensive guys who have been making plays along with Hubert, uh, Hubert as well. Um, but no, I mean they just didn't they just didn't jump off the screen at me when I was watching them, and that tells me that they're probably going to be in for a pretty rude awakening on Saturday. Because um, unless mm-hmm. if, if if unless you got some dudes to go up against OU's dudes. A lot of the time, it just, it just doesn't work out well. Unless you got someone to cancel out OU's talent advantage, it just, you know, it's just not going to go very well for these teams. And the games that OU have lo- has lost in the past, that's typically the reason. They there's guys that go out there and make plays that uh, that are not typical plays. And Kansas State just doesn't have a lot of those guys at all. And uh, if if Kansas State is, is able to beat Oklahoma on, on Saturday. It really would be one of the more shocking results of the last two decades of OU football. If for some reason the offensive line struggles or is not having as much success as, as maybe they're used to or they, they've become used to recently against this Kansas State front four or front seven, this could be a, a pretty easy C.D. Lamb or Charleston Rambo type game because I noticed against TCU at least, K-State's defense on the outside played a lot of man. They put their corners on an island quite a bit, and they're not necessarily always up playing press, but they do play up near the line of scrimmage a decent amount of times, and and they kind of say, hey, go out there and make some plays. And you want to man up against certain players like Lamb and Rambo and maybe even like a guy like Jaden Hazelwood, who knows how much he'll play. Uh, it's only a matter of time before you get burned. And so the, not, to mention that, getting, yeah. not to mention Jalen Hurts can just tuck it and run if you're playing man. That's oh, yes. one of the biggest. That that's by far one of the biggest. Uh, one of the biggest deals with Hertz's running ability is that you essentially can't play man coverage, and if you do, you're going to have to split it up on the field. And so it just it's it, it forces it forces defenses if you want to play man to be complicated, and you know when defenses are complicated that there's a higher higher chance of a bust. So I just yeah, I, 
Kansas State's defense is going to get freaking shredded on Saturday. <laughs> like I, I don't, I, I don't really <laughs> see much of what they can do other than OU, other than get OU behind the chains uh, on on first down. That's that's their only chance. And you mentioned Jalen Hurts. That was my last note on Oklahoma's offense versus Kansas State's defense. How much of that TCU K State game did you watch? Did you see a decent amount of it? Because you may have noticed TCU's quarterback Max Duggan had quite a bit of success running the football against Kansas State's defense. That touchdown run was awesome. <laughs> that was one just of the manhandled K State. I mean, he he like just stiff armed one of the corners. Just to get off of me, which you know, Max Duggan's a big dude, but he's a lot faster than I thought he was. And that was a that was a very nice touchdown run. And earlier in the drive, he had like another long thirty-ish yard scramble on third down. So if Max Duggan can do that to your defense, what's Jalen Hurts going to do to your defense if he's and just yeah, if and, he's pulling it down and running. And when you have when you have a when you have a running quarterback back there in the pocket going through his progressions, it just makes the defense think. What do I do when he takes off? What if I do? What do I do if he throws this way? It's just Jalen Hurts' running ability is such a weapon for this offense, um, and and it makes it it really does make it. Unless you got a bunch of NFL guys on that defense, it's going to be really difficult to stop. And Kansas State maybe has one NFL guy, maybe. Hmm. You're talking just overall offense and defense, or yeah, Hubert is the only one. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about their team to. To make any sort of predictions on their NFL futures or not like that, but uh, I digress. All right, so let's get to the port of the show. I'm not sure how much people like this part. I think people probably like the, these parts of the show. I, I think it's interesting. It's different. Uh, what we want to see happen, what will happen, and uh, let's see who should go first here. Let me go first. You went first last week. Oh, I did? Okay, you can go you, first. And you stole all of mine, so yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, Grant, so what do you want to see happen when OU plays Kansas State Saturday? Okay, so first and foremost, Lee, I want to see the offense continue to do what they're doing. OU's biggest advantage in this game is probably the receivers against the Kansas State secondary, which, you know, is going to be a big advantage in, ev- in, in pretty much every game this season. Um, so I would really like to, you know, try to get uh, CeeDee Lamb, Charleston Rambo, Jaden Hazelwood, etc. Uh, try to get them in space early to see if that secondary can tackle. Because I, I, I don't know what you were watching, but I, I saw a secondary that is not good at tackling once, once guys get to the second level. There was um, a play against Baylor that reminded me of the, the little Jordan Humphrey play OU Texas last year, except it, it resulted in a touchdown in this scenario for Baylor against K-State. I don't know if you saw that play in, that, in the Baylor game, but uh, Baylor had like third and 22 and just threw it short, and K-State just they're, they're, they couldn't tackle him. I mean, they, the guy just pinballed off K-State's defenders and then ran in for a touchdown. Or no, maybe it was a, maybe it was a first down, but uh, yeah, it was... Yeah, not that, great, Bob. Yeah, that was not great. But I, I think overall, though, what I've seen, I think they're, they're a pretty solid tackling team. I think that was kind of like a, an outlier play, though. I, I think it would be a little too hard on their ability, but I mean, you know, we'll see. We'll see, maybe. I guess we'll see. I guess we'll you know, see. Maybe against Oklahoma, maybe they won't be. Um, but anywho, I mean, like, so like we already said, we know what Kansas State's game plan is gonna go, is gonna be going into this game. They want to slow the they want to slow the game down, limit Oklahoma's possessions, which is why I want OU to take the ball, come out and start throwing haymakers, make Kansas State play your game, and then they will crumble. They won't be able to keep up. Um, once they're softened up by kind of maybe stretching them on the outside with your skill players, uh, then you can start punishing them in the run game. 
that's when I think, you know, those those big long runs that you saw Chuba Hubbard get, that's when those will start to materialize later in the game. Very, very easy for me to picture Kennedy Brooks running away from this secondary uh, a couple times in this game. Um, and then just another thing in here, just feed C.D. Lamb, best player in the Big 12. I will continue to, uh, to beat that drum. Uh, moving over to the defense, I want the OU defense to treat this game as a unique physical challenge. Kansas State's going to try to run power between the tackles. There's extreme possibility that that could generate some chunk plays against OU, uh, just which is why you have to maintain gap discipline. I would like to see a, a big emphasis on that because um, if you can maintain gap discipline and if you scheme to take away Skylar Thompson's first read, this offense will crumble. You saw that a lot against Baylor. They took away just his first read on the quick pass. He got sacked five times. Uh, James Lynch, a big defensive lineman for, for Baylor who is – Probably the conference defensive player of the year up to this point, uh, just because he he just he gets way more snaps than Neville Gallimore does. Um, but this is Lynch had a lot of success inside against this Kansas State offensive line. I I can only assume that Neville Gallimore will also have lots of, lots of success against this offensive line. Um, and then again, let's get some takeaways. Let's take it away from them. They don't really turn it over a lot, uh, but let's keep the good mojo going there. And then finally, just no injuries. Get on the bus with the win. All right. What I want to see happen in this game, I want to start with the defense. So I'll kind of take what you were talking about and add a little bit to it. I do want to see that front seven dominate this Kansas State offensive line. Too many times against TCU and even against Baylor, I saw Skylar Thompson sit back for two, three, even four seconds. Not as much, not as much four, but you know, two, three seconds and kind of go through his reads. I want Kansas State to think that it's a possibility to do that against Oklahoma's defensive line and then find out that it shouldn't be a possibility. So I want to see that. Uh, so which means I want to see some more sacks. And we saw zero against West Virginia. That's not because Oklahoma's defensive line played poorly. As Lincoln Riley pointed out on Monday, it's just because West Virginia schemed up and wanted to get the ball out and made it difficult for Oklahoma to get there. That's just the way it was. Uh, it's worth noting that Kansas State, though, doesn't give up many sacks this year. They've allowed just about the same amount of sacks as West Virginia this season, although Kansas State has, again, played one fewer game. I obviously would like Better to see... Better an offensive line as well. Okay. Thank you. You know, keep the TFLs coming. Uh, especially considering that Kansas State likes to run the football from under center quite a bit. They want to establish the run so Oklahoma knows they're going to run the ball. I think this could be a recipe for Oklahoma's front four to get into the backfield and create some havoc. Like you, Grant, I want to see some takeaways. Just too many close calls recently. At some point, the ball has just got to bounce Oklahoma's way. Unfortunately, though, Kansas State's a team that doesn't turn the ball over all that much. Just seven this season, and six of those weirdly have been fumbles, so Skylar Thompson not throwing a lot of picks. And the one pick he threw was tipped, I will add. To the offense, just pick up from what I talked about earlier about the offensive line. I want to see them dominate this Kansas State defensive line. I think the Wildcats' front four is pretty good. Uh, you know, Again, they got some big dudes, kind of nasty guys up there. Again, I think it's going to be a test for that group. If the Oklahoma offensive line keeps playing the way they have been playing, I'll be incredibly happy coming out of this game. Uh, you know, This should be the third straight game that we've seen those main five starters up front, barring any unforeseen circumstances in this week of practice. So I think the arrow is pointing up for Oklahoma's offensive line, and I want it to stay pointing up coming out of this game. I want to see a bunch of explosive plays. Uh, I know that we kind of disagreed a little bit about the amount of explosive plays K-State gives up, but uh, I, they haven't given up a whole lot. But yeah, against like a Chuba Hubbard type. Yeah, and against Baylor, there is a few. 
Uh, saw some holes in the back end of that defense, especially against Baylor. And uh, again, those corners, you know, they have some confidence. They want to be aggressive. I could see them playing up. Could open up some nice one-on-one scenarios for C.D. Lamb, Charleston Rambo, and again, maybe even Jaden Hazelwood. And uh, the last thing that I want to see, a little different, we haven't touched on this at all yet. How about Oklahoma's special teams? I want to continue to flash a little bit. And I'm not even talking about, you know, blocked kicks, you know, blocked punts like we saw last week or even blocked field goals, things like that. How about something simple, just like kickoffs? Gabe Burkich cleverly placing the ball near the sidelines inside the five-yard line, kind of forcing Kansas State to make a decision whether or not to return the ball or call for a fair catch. We've seen a fair catch called for the last two games and muffed on kickoffs that have uh, started Oklahoma's defense out on a great spot. It'd be crazy if that happened again, but I just I like what Oklahoma's doing special teams-wise, not just kicking every ball deep into the end zone for an automatic touchback. I like the fact that Jay Boulware, Shane Beamer, the, they're, they're being different with special teams and trying to pin opposing teams inside that 20, inside that 25, and giving the defense you know, even more room to operate. I like that. Love that stuff. It's just more stuff that the other team has to prepare for that they don't want to prepare for. Exactly. And on top of that, K-State always seems to be like one of those teams that take a lot of pride. And I know it's a different coaching staff now, but I think it's going to be the same. They take pride in special teams. I mean, they had a block punt last week against TCU. They blocked a TCU punt. And, you know, because with K-State, they know the talent level of their team is not close to Oklahoma's. They have to make plays in special teams a lot to stay in the game. I want Oklahoma to be better than Kansas State Saturday on special teams. So that's what I want to see happen. The question is, what will happen? I don't have as many laid out concrete thoughts on this particular subject as I had for the previous one, Grant. But Grant, I, okay, I, I guess I'll just go, I'll let you know how the sausage was made. I came into this thinking, you know, it opened at 21, I believe, the line. It's now 23 and a half. So a lot of money coming in in Oklahoma. It's gone up almost three points. Oklahoma's now a 23 and a half point favorite. And again, we're recording this on Tuesday night. So that number could go to 24, could go to 24 and a half by the weekend. So I suppose if you like Oklahoma, bet them now because I think the number's going to keep rising. Oklahoma coming into this game, I was thinking Kansas State plays with so much pride. I like their coach. That's a lot of points in Manhattan, which is kind of a weird place to play. I was kind of leaning more to, you know, not strongly in any way but leaning more to k-state plus the points especially now it's going up you get more points with k-state might be the play here but the more i think about the more it goes i mean if this game plays out the way it should play out oklahoma should cover this spread and should cover the spread easily because if they get kansas state behind the eight ball and they get them a couple scores on kansas state they're gonna be so uncomfortable and oklahoma's defense will be able to pin their ears back even more and again that offense just isn't that explosive i Oklahoma's been really good against the run this year, actually, especially, you know, we saw them really good against West Virginia. Kansas State wants to run the ball really well. Outside of the outside of an explosive play here and there, which is sure, which is what we expect with this defense. Man, I a couple of just other kind of random things that I was thinking about coming into this game that, that leads to my prediction. This is Kansas State's third straight home game, and they throw a bye in there too. So Kansas State's played a lot of games at home recently. They have not been on the road much. You know, you think, okay, what what do you what's the point? I know it's Oklahoma coming in, but maybe like playing at home, they're kind of used to it. So in a weird way, will it be not that big of a deal that they're playing a home game again? And they've gotten beat the last two times at home. Oh, that's not that's not true. Obviously, they won last week against TCU. 
my bad there. But uh, coming off a TCU win, and that's kind of a weird thing. I know. I, I don't know why I thought about that, but uh, if this was like the first home game for K State in a while, I think that would be a little bit more of a notch in Kansas State's. Uh, like on their side of this, because they'd be more jacked up and excited to be. Oh, we're back home. We got Oklahoma. Think oh, we've already played a few, home, a couple home games before this one. We're back home again. All right, we're kind of used to being at home. In a weird way, I think that kind of benefits Oklahoma. And also, what benefits Oklahoma, I think too, hopefully, is that Oklahoma has a bye after this. And so, I'd like to think that Lincoln Riley, Jalen Hurts, Alex Grinch, all the leaders of this team will be just hammering into their brains. Listen, you get this done. You come out. And you take care of business and then because you don't want to have a week to stew over a bad game and, you know, God forbid, a loss. You want to go into this bye week on a high note and prove, uh, you know, prove to yourselves that you take another team like Kansas State, like West Virginia, seriously. I'm thinking that that's got to be the message. And with Jalen Hurts here yet again, I'll keep using this because I think it's important. He's going to make sure they stay on point and don't look uh, don't overlook anybody. Therefore, I do think Oklahoma is going to win this game and cover this spread. Since Kansas State's defense has kind of held some good offenses below their season average, off the top of my head, it's season average in points, off the top of my head, I'm not sure how many points Oklahoma is scoring per game this year. I can look it up right now. They're scoring 50 a game, all right? So let's say Oklahoma scores 42. So that would mean that they got to hold Kansas State to something like 14, maybe a little bit more. I'm going to say Oklahoma wins this game 42 to 17 and just barely covers that 23-and-a-half-point spread. Grant, what do you think? I think they're going to do exactly what they're supposed to do against an overmatched team. They're going to win. The game is going to be over close to halftime. I think you'll probably see a game that's pretty similar to this one that we just saw against West Virginia last week. Uh, I think OU is going to win 49-16. to Any concerns of them overlooking Kansas State going into a bye week where they can maybe go home and see the family or something? or like? Hey. Sure, sure. But you know, even this with is, this team that has been so mentally focused, I can't. You know, I how am I able? How am I going to factor that in if I haven't seen it so far? I mean, this has been a pretty mentally tough team so far. It sure and has. until they give me reason to doubt that, I you know i I can't just I can't just guess. Yeah, OU's going to come out <laughs> flat, right? You know, right. I, I don't. You know, That's what's the what they haven't done all year? They have not. I mean, I guess against Kansas, they kind of came out flat, but yeah, but they righted the ship pretty quickly. But like, I I don't. What does Kansas State have to do to keep this game close? They have to move the chains on third down. What's the one thing that Oklahoma's defense has been elite of the elite at this season? Getting teams off off the field on third down. I, I don't. Oh, I don't know. If, Did we mention this about K State's defense though? K State's defense on third down is second in all of college football. I think I forgot that part. K State's okay, third so down defense has been really good. That's why. That's why S. That's why S and P likes them so much. Um. Good luck. That's right. We forgot about that part. So, like, shoot, yeah. Because you mentioned the yards per play that they allow is 5.9, which is not good. So I thought, why is their, you know, their, their total defense is pretty good? And it's because they're really good on third down. Kate State's only giving up 23.8% of third downs, which is second in all of college football, even better than Oklahoma. So they've been awesome on third down defensively. So, hey, good you know, luck. But, but hey, Oklahoma, that. Oh, you doesn't get the third down a whole lot. They, they pick up first downs a lot on first down, second down. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah, it's it's possible that Kansas State maintains that number and still gets run off the field. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. I I just I just no, I, I just I, I don't put a whole lot of stock into that. They haven't played Oklahoma yet, and I know that sounds kind of hacky, and I know, but it's just 
That's been proven to be correct so many times the last handful of years. Teams look great until they just don't anymore going up against OU. And I, that's, that's what's going to happen this weekend. All right. Uh, lastly, Swift over to the Big 12. And there's a couple of these games that we're actually going to pick because there's some good Big 12 games this year. So let's skip the top two on this uh, rundown here. And we'll just mention Texas Tech is at Kansas. Tech's only a three-and-a-half-point road favorite. Don't have a whole lot on this game other than the fact that, obviously, what will Kansas do after they almost beat up on Texas? I, you know, Who knows? But uh, Tech at Kansas, do you have any notes on this game? Any thoughts? If not, we'll just move on. I have, I have no thoughts. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I, I don't. It looks like, uh, you know, Kansas, they got that new offensive coordinator, and it looks like that's going pretty well for them. So, I suppose um, if you like Tech, that's a pretty short number, even though it's on the road, but Kansas doesn't have much of a home field advantage. So, so I suppose if you like Tech, I mean, that's – you might just, you know, as some uh, sharps say, un, uh, take off the rubber band if you really like Tech. Because, I mean, maybe that like, – you said their defense, though, was injured. So, you know, Very maybe injured, but, I mean, but ever since the OU game, their offense has been pretty pretty darn good, actually. They've, been, they've ran the ball really well. Um, okay. So – I don't know. We'll see. And Kansas's defense, I, I think, is is pretty much last place in the Big 12 and pretty much everything. So there's two other Big 12 games this week, and we'll talk about them coming up here as we now get to our picks part, which, uh, you know, this might as well become a a segment where we just kind of give our, our thoughts on the biggest games of, of the week in college football because our picks have not been good. Grant, you were, you were okay last week. You were three and two. So... You were above 500 last week, but I was bad. I was one and four. Uh, overall on the year, Grant, you were 18, 21, and one, and I am 17, 22, and one. So, not great. It sure was hot at the beginning of this season, but sure was. I had a pretty hot September. But man, it's gotten it's gotten tougher. It all kind of evens out. You know, that's I mean, it's it's hard to. I think uh, professional gamblers that I, I think 55 percent is always kind of the clip I, I've heard. And if you can get 55, you can make some money. But man, it's right now for us, it's tough for to give, uh, tough to get to just 50 percent to you know go half and half. Anyways, we got five games here, five biggest games of the week. Two of them in the Big 12. Let's start with an 11 a.m. kick. It's not as big as it would have been if Wisconsin wouldn't have laid an egg against Illinois. <laughs> Sorry, I just that's legitimately hilarious that Wisconsin lost to. Illinois. <laughs> I just, I love you. Smith is just not a good coach. Uh, he wasn't that good of a coach in the NFL. He got lucky. He had so much talent. The players lo- loved him. Uh, he never could find a quarterback. A lot of wasted defensive players for the Bears over the years. They made a Super Bowl, but they never won one. At Illinois, I know you can't really recruit to Illinois, but you think, oh, this guy that coached for the Bears for a while, you know, maybe he gets some good guys. And I think he's recruiting a little bit better, but Illinois has been bad since he's been there. They haven't really The improved. contrarian in me, Lee, says that Lovey Smith made it to a Super Bowl with Rex Grossman. That's got to count for something. Yeah. But your, I, but your points stand, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I'll give him credit for that. I mean, the defenses were always really good, and he's a good defensive coordinator. And he, you know, has a, he had a pretty good head coaching record. But there, I mean, there's a reason why he was never, you know, I guess he, the, the Bucks hired him again, and that was a disaster. And then that was it. And then he went to Illinois after another year. So anyways, we're not going to, uh, Lovey Smith is always a well-liked guy. And it's just, as a Bears fan, I, 
very frustrating how many amazing defenses they wasted. And, you know, we're seeing the same thing again 10 more more years later. It's just what's new is old again, or what's old is new again, I should say. Every time the Bears are competitive in my lifetime, Grant, this is my Bears rant, it's the same thing. The defense is really good, and they can't find a quarterback, and the offense stinks. It's well, really frustrating. Welcome, welcome to the NFL. That's what it's, oh, I mean, that's what it's about. Like, I don't... This is why I, I don't understand fan bases that get upset that are kind of like in your situation. Because what do you expect? You don't. Oh no! Like it's, it's like it's, if, it's if just, you don't have a, an elite quarterback, you're not winning a Super Bowl. Like oh, I. Oh yeah! I mean, I, I know that. I I know that. I mean, I just it's you kind of just go through it. I mean, I, I I'm not going to get worked up. It's just annoying because the defense has so much potential, and it's not just the quarterback, which is terrible. Mitchell Trubisky is a bad player. But also, Matt Nagy clearly does not know how to do offense anymore. If he did, it's their offense is so bad. He's not helping Trubisky. Uh, I was looking at Warren Sharp tweeting today about running the ball, and I, I can't remember if it was running and passing success uh, when motion is used. And Matt Nagy very rarely ever uses motion in his offense to run the ball or pass the ball, and the offense is terrible. I wonder. I mean, when you use motion, you utilize motion, you give the defense different looks, different, and you create openings for yourself i mean how often does lincoln riley use motion in oklahoma all the time every play it's just so it just I'm, it helps I'm, your quarterback read the defense oh uh, yeah absolutely and i'm so i'm i'm not only down on mitchell trubisky i'm way down on matt Nagy right now because even though Trubisky's not a very good player Nagy is not helping him out and not putting him in a good situation all right bears rant over sorry about that everybody wisconsin at ohio state ohio state a 14-and-a-half-point home favorite. If you bet Ohio State every single game this year, I think they've covered every single game. I think no, they didn't, seven. They, didn't, they didn't cover week one against FAU. Oh, you're right. They didn't. <laughs> the one thing that – that was the one thing that prevented me from having a perfect week, week one, was Ohio oh, wow. State and FAU. Oh, man. Well, they've bounced back since then. And uh, I know a lot of the Sharps were on Northwestern last week. My thought was there is absolutely 0% chance that I will feel good about – backing Northwestern that terrible offense against I mean I'm not sure how much how much higher the number need to be for me to even consider taking Northwestern I think it was 28 the final I think it would have needed to be for me maybe 38 and I would have been like all right maybe I'll take Northwestern here uh so I took I was on Northwestern last week I just I cannot I can't back any of these terrible big 10 offenses even I've learned my lesson I learned five touchdowns yeah at this point in time, if you're if, if you're betting against Ohio State, you're not paying attention. So I just just to get to this game, it's you definitely take Ohio State minus fourteen and a half. Yeah. Or you don't bet the game. Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, it's I, I think I think Wisconsin, I mean, this is total I I I guess you could make the argument that hey, Wisconsin still has a shot because they beat Ohio State. That in a weird way could erase or kind of cancel out the, the bad Illinois loss in a way oh yeah it definitely you go into Ohio State and beat them yeah yeah so that I mean, totally cancels that so loss Wisconsin out. still has a lot to play for I suppose but I just the town ta- I mean there's a reason why this is a 14 half point spread and Wisconsin was just like was just recently a top what a top five or top six team uh, Ohio State is so much better than Wisconsin you got in Ohio State that has facet. by like a lot of metrics the number one defense in college football going up against an offense that is under center, tries to run the ball between the tackles, going up against a team that has much better players going, you know, lining up on the other side, and a quarterback that is limited, cannot throw unless it is on their terms. I just I, I don't 
I don't know how Wisconsin's going to score 20 points and Ohio State is going to I mean they they're going to they're going to run around the athletes of Wisconsin's defense so I just I this is a game that I see Ohio State winning like 38 to 10 or something like that you know Sounds good to me yeah I'm with you it's Ohio State or pass I don't know how you don't take Ohio State here It's a really good football team I was way off on them I was kind of unsure about fields and you know I didn't know how the the transition would One be but One thing they are not good at they don't protect fields very well. He gets, uh, they're like their quarterback hit and pressure rate against fields is in like is in uh, is very is like at the bottom of college football, like amongst like all divisions or amongst like P five and group of five. Okay. So I keep thinking to myself, ooh, if OU goes up against Ohio State, maybe they could be able to get organic pressure on them. <laughs> oh wow, yeah, that's interesting. Didn't know that. All right, Auburn, LSU. In Baton Rouge, 2.30 kick on Saturday. LSU, 11-and-a-half home favorite. And a lot of people on Mississippi State last weekend against LSU. And LSU just went into Starkville and took care of business, no problem. Covered with ease. Now they're going up against Auburn. And I want to say, are they on a bye after this week before the Alabama game? Yes, they are. And I think Auburn is coming off a bye, aren't they? Looking right now. Schedule, Auburn Tigers. Auburn, no. Auburn played Arkansas. So, yeah, essentially they, they came off at a bye. <laughs> uh, Auburn just played Arkansas on the road. This is the third straight road game, by the way, though, for Auburn. So that kind of factors into, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of handicappers take that into account. Although I will say uh, it's a third straight road game, but there was a bye built into this stretch for Auburn. They had a bye after they played at Florida and lost to Florida on October the 5th. So it was uh, at Florida, bye, at Arkansas, now at LSU. For Auburn and for LSU, it's, I mean, it's been a, it's a bit, bit of a, you know, a, a tough road for them too. The Tigers, obviously, Florida, and then, well, okay, never mind. It was Florida, then at Mississippi State, which, I mean, you go on the road in the SEC, it's supposed to be tough, but Mississippi State stinks this year. Now they're home against Auburn. Uh, afternoon game and then yes they have a bye after that before they play Alabama again this for me it's I, I don't know how you don't take LSU I, I just really I lean Auburn here actually I think you're getting Auburn I think you're getting quite a bit of value on Auburn here yeah you're probably right actually yeah let's see who has Auburn seen offensively that could that has posed any threat to them let's see we all we both agree that Oregon's offense isn't really all that great it's okay. Their it's, offense is okay. It's okay. Uh, it's not even close to as good as LSU's offense. Uh, let's look at the teams that Auburn has played offensively. Grant, you got Oregon. Tulane. Okay, we don't we don't need to go into this. This is this is too much. I I don't. It's. Well, I'm trying to get to the point where I'm saying this is like why I'm comfortable laying nobody and a half nobody has played. Lee, the offenses this season are not comp like Alabama, OU, LSU are on totally different levels. Nobody has played comparable offenses Ohio to those State? three. Not even Ohio State. Wait, what? Like, oh, yeah, Ohio State's offense is, is, has been good this year. Hadn't been on the level of those three teams that I just mentioned. In terms of efficiency, explosiveness, oh, everything. Yes, it has. Ohio State's no. offense has been, yeah, it has. It's been, like, it's been, it's been up there. I think it's technically now. It's up there. Like, like, I'm up. talking about there is a line. Like, Ohio State is probably, they have a top five offense in the country. I'm saying that line between the top three where LSU, OU, and Alabama are, 
compared to where Ohio State is at five is a pretty big gap. That's what I'm saying. Just like it was last year. I could have swore I was looking at Ohio State's offense. Ohio is, State's is, offense is, ahead of Oklahoma's offense. Ohio State's offense is no better than it was last year. It's pretty much the same offense. They're just running the ball a little bit better. But in terms of efficiency and other advanced numbers like that, it's it's not any any much better than last season. Let's see here. The big different the big difference for Ohio State now is that they're pairing it with maybe the best defense in the country. All right, so I don't again, we brought this up before like once or twice in the podcast, this ESPN team efficiency ranking. And again, I have no idea what this means. <laughs> Here's their explanation. It says Team efficiencies are based on the point contributions of each unit to the team's scoring margin on a per-play basis. The values are adjusted for strength of schedule and downweighted for garbage time based on win probability. The scale goes from 0 to 100. Higher numbers are better, and the average is roughly 50 for every single uh, category. The reason I bring this up is that in this efficiency metric, Ohio State has the number one offense in college football at 97, whatever that means, and Oklahoma is ranked second at 96.7. And what I think that might mean is that there's been very little garbage time, I think, yards and points from Ohio State this year. I feel like they've been scoring a lot of their stuff early in the game, and they've been kind of been sitting on the ball. So maybe that's why Ohio State's ranked a little bit uh, ranked ahead of Oklahoma in this metric. So I mean, maybe, but I mean, I'll I'll go with S with S and P all day long over that. Uh, OU is still number one in that by a pretty comfortable margin. Ohio State is fifth in that metric. Um, only team that's really close to OU is LSU in that metric. And then and then there's a pretty big drop-off. All right, so you're leaning Auburn. I, I'm i not going to lean or like. I'm just going to say, I mean, LSU's the play for me. I, I, both Basically, LSU and Ohio State are two teams right now where I, I would be afraid to go against, even if it might seem like there's a little bit of value on Auburn. So I just, even though I know LSU's defense isn't all that great, but, um, you know, playing a home game, going into the bye week with Alabama on deck. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable taking Auburn, put it that way. All right. First big 12 game, Oklahoma state at Iowa state, Iowa state now in the top 25 and Grant, I mean, this seems like a pretty big number. Iowa state's favored by 10 and a half. That seems like there's a bit of an overreaction to Oklahoma state losing at home to Baylor well, maybe maybe not but uh I mean my first gut was thinking like man this is like Oklahoma State plus double digit points even against a good Iowa State team Oklahoma State's offense in the last couple of years is like the one other offense in the Big 12 that's actually done pretty well against Iowa State's defense and I know that uh Spencer Sanders is kind of playing an up and down type year but even with Taylor Cornelius I'm pretty sure he had a successful day a season ago against Iowa State, but now I'm going to probably get immediately burned by that if I look it up and he didn't have a good game. But uh, I, I just remember Mason Rudolph kind of torching Iowa State's defense, even with the, the new scheme. So I, I kind of, I, I mean, for me, I even though I like Iowa State a lot, man, I that's too many points. I think Oklahoma State coming off a loss like that, plus 10 and a half, I, I, I think Oklahoma State's the right side. I think I lean Iowa State on this just because if the line is something you can't figure out, typically well, there's a reason a, for that. Well, and I no, no, I, I, I mean the front, you know Spencer Sanders inexperience. Iowa State's really good defense at home. I mean that's to me it looks why. like when I look at this line, it, it's it's telling me that Vegas is propping up Iowa State and they're fading Oklahoma State. That's kind of what it looks like to me. Yeah. Um, 
the question is, and is it better? I'm not sure. It's an overreaction. I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's. I'm not sure if that is an overreaction up to this point. Oklahoma State's look terrible. Like I mean, they don't. So hmm. yeah, I, I I lean Iowa State actually there. All right, so my gut instincts were correct though. I'm looking back at last year. Iowa State did beat Oklahoma State in Stillwater, but the final score was 48 to 42. And Taylor Cornelius was thir- was 19 of 33 for 289, four touchdowns and a pick. And he also had 14 carries for 46 yards and a touchdown on the ground. So even Taylor Cornelius kind of carved up this Iowa State defense. And this is actually Brock Purdy's coming out party, if I remember right. Brock Purdy came onto the scene, and nobody knew about him, and he was really good against Oklahoma State and beat him in Stillwater. So we're on the opposite side of that one. Uh, next one in the Big 12, this is super fascinating. Texas is still ranked number 15, which I know that there's a lot of people out there that were annoyed that Texas didn't move at all after the close loss to Kansas. Whatever. I I mean, I don't really care that much. Uh, Texas is at TCU. TCU coming off a loss to Kansas State. Currently, Texas is only a one-point road favorite, but Grant, I believe TCU opened as a a two-and-a-half-point home favorite in this game over Texas, which I could not believe. This is a crazy line. This This is not correct. Um, and I, I understand, I think professional betters would look at this and, and try to figure out, okay, why is it like this? Why this is well, it's, just, it's the history these two teams have played, I think in the last few years, pretty close games. I Texas think blew why. them out last year. I thought like last year um, was like the first time in a while. I think we're te- like one of the teams kind of had the upper hand. Yeah. So last this year, is te- I mean, I really, this is, te- I really like Texas. If, if you're getting this number, like that's not, Texas is a lot better than TCU. This is silly. See, I, I'm with you. I, I saw that. What I saw on Twitter on Monday that that uh, TCU opened as a two and a half point favorite. I was thinking uh, that has to be a typo. That can't be right. I'm looking back in uh, 2016. In 2016, TCU smoked Texas with Kenny Hill. Uh, let's see, 2017, TCU beat Texas 24 to seven with Kenny Hill. This is back when TCU was. I mean, 2017. Remember, TCU was pretty good. Uh, and then, you know, last year, Texas won 31 to 16 in Austin. Uh, let's see, 2015, uh, TCU smoked Texas. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, though. I think this is like, especially if you could have gotten this with like Texas plus points. I, I was thinking, I, I, you know, I, sometimes I have a, you know, like a, an internet fund where I potentially have money or don't have money, but I was like, yeah, do I need to fund my account and put it all on Texas? Uh, but even at minus one, it still seems like a great bet because, yeah, I I, I don't but follow your uh, what you said a moment ago, though. If you don't understand why the line is a certain way, maybe be a bit uneasy because why is this line this way? This is, doesn't make sense. Well, Vegas obviously expects Gary Patterson's defense to slow down Texas. And then Texas's off or defense has been so terrible. They think, yeah, maybe kind of the skill players for TCU can can get loose. I I just I I'm not seeing it. TCU sucks. I'm just not seeing it at all. Especially after Texas had a huge scare against Kansas. Don't you think they'll be a little bit more focused against an you think so rival? I mean, pretty like a rival yeah, TCU. I, you put your you put your money on Texas here as an OU fan, and either way, you're going to get a good result. You're either going to win the bet, or Texas is out of the Big Twelve championship picture. So, yeah, we're both on Texas here, and I, we both like Texas quite a bit. So, uh, you know, who knows? I, yeah, just like, I mean, Texas is, is, is still the second best team in the conference. Like, don't, don't overthink this. All right, lastly, 
Notre Dame, the eighth-ranked team in the country, at number 19, Michigan. Michigan, by the way, Grant, good call on Michigan. Michigan was able to cover last week against Penn State. I was on Penn State. Basically, every single person that follows college football was on Penn State in that game, and Michigan was like, you know what? We ain't good enough to win it, but, man, we're sure good enough to cover. <laughs> and, and that's what Michigan did in Happy Valley. Now you got Michigan going home with two losses now. Uh, they're laying a point, though. They're still a, they're a, a one-point favorite at home against Notre Dame, who still, I guess, has something-ish to play for, even though Georgia lost, and that really hurt Notre Dame. But Notre Dame obviously knows they've got to keep winning if they're going to have any sort of shot at the playoff. Boy, I, to me, Grant, this this kind of feels like like you like really hard like on Notre Dame. I mean, getting a oh, point. Oh, I'm, I'm the exact opposite. Really? Yeah, Notre Dame is not is not particularly great. Huh. Um, their their offense is limited uh, in the same way that it was last year. Uh, Michigan's Michigan's defense is playing well. I I like Michigan here. I think they'll win by double digits. Notre Dame coming off a bye. Brian Kelly off a bye. Pretty good coach. You know, that, unless it's unless Michigan is just totally given up on Harbaugh, um, but if you do, I mean you're just making a guess if you go with that. So I, I'm going to go with what we've seen on the field. I think Michigan is Michigan's not gonna is not going to allow Notre Dame to to move the ball very easily. So I'll take the I'll take the home team on a night game. I just I I think I like that play quite a bit. All right, I'm on the other side. If I had to play this one, I'd go with Notre Dame because I I just don't trust Michigan at all in any shape or form let's see all right that does it for our show any since this is a night where i don't have to get back to work really fast is there any other topics of conversation that's really burning up on you that you want to get off your chest or should we just wrap this bad boy up we kind of got i mean we're about an hour hour 40 hour 45 so it's pretty good pod I'm, i'm good with wrapping it up i got to uh not feeling the best i kind of want to hang my hat up all right oklahoma at kansas state 11 a.m saturday Everyone enjoy the game. We both believe, Grant and I, think it, it should go pretty positively for Oklahoma. And if it does not, uh, that, that will not be good. And you know that either way, Grant and I will be back on Sunday slash Monday to talk all about it. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.